0: Welcome to New Freedom Church. Our mission is to be real people walking and experiencing real freedom. If you're new with us, please like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you get new content immediately when it's released. And we wanna thank those of you who have shared our videos because it helps us to reach even more people with the life-changing message that there is a savior who loves you and wants real, genuine freedom for you. And if you haven't done so already, go to newfc.org. Go to the connect tab and share with us how we can best connect with you and your family to serve your needs. So this morning, I want to conclude uh, this section of Psalms uh, for now. There's actually four of them left, and you have been uh, with us through the journey of the pages of life. There are uh, 15 Psalms that are songs of ascent, is what your Bible says. They're songs of ascent. They're ascending up the mountain to Jerusalem to worship God. And uh, we've, we've covered the, the first uh, six of those earlier in the year. Uh, we've hit another uh, four of those. Uh, there are, uh, there's one today, and there's four of them left, and I want to postpone the other four to another time because I believe the Lord has really uh, inspired me for next month to start a brand new series called Kingdom Prayer. We're going to look at praying according to God's kingdom. Prayer is the the word of the year here at New Freedom Church and I believe that it's vital that we do that. Also uh, starting next Sunday we're going to have 21 days of prayer that's going to take up every Sunday in October. Now somebody heard me say just now prayer and fasting And you say, I don't know about the fasting part. I didn't say prayer and fasting. We're going to have prayer, but we are also going to fast. Some of us uh, are going to be called upon to do that, and I'll I'll give you some more instruction on that. But uh, that's next week. We're going to do 21 days of prayer. Today, I want to get into Psalm 130. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 130th Psalm. This is a psalm of ascent. I'm going to be reading this morning out of a couple different translations. I'm going to start off with the message translation, which is a interpretation directly from or a a translation directly from the old Hebrew that puts it into a little more modern day vernacular. These eight verses deal with a central theme, and that theme is one word called hope. Everybody say hope. Just look at your neighbor and say, hope. The hope of God. We're going to talk about the hope of God this morning. Here's what the psalmist says. Help, God. The bottom has fallen out of my life. Master, hear my cry for help. Listen hard. Open your ears. Listen to my cries for mercy. If you, God, kept records of wrongdoing, who would stand a chance? As it turns out, forgiveness is your habit, and that's why you're worshiped. I pray to God, my life a prayer and wait for what he'll say and do. My life's in the line before God, my Lord, waiting and watching till morning, waiting and watching till morning. Oh, Israel, wait and watch for God. With God's arrival comes love. With God's arrival comes generous redemption. No doubt about it, he will redeem Israel, buy back Israel from captivity to sin. Hope is exploding in this verse. And I I just want you to, for the next few moments, to set aside some of those things in life that look bleak. Some of those things that look like they're never going to happen for you. I want you to, just for a moment, go with me on a journey, a journey of hope. When we think of what causes hope to diminish from our lives, we conclude that there is really just one thing, and that is the word loss. Loss is what robs us from hope. Loss in life is what causes us to go from a, a hopeful optimistic to a pessimistic cynic. And we look through the lens of what could go wrong versus what might God work out that could go right. Loss of maybe a job. Loss of a dream. Loss of a desire. Loss of an ability through physical ailment, loss of health. It may even be the loss of a loved one. And when we get into these times of loss, we think, you know, the wind has been knocked out of my sail because of what I have lost. But when multiple losses mount up in a short period of time, it's not just that you get stuttered and you get staggered back, but rather those kind of losses are enough to make you conclude like the psalmist, God, the bottom has fallen out of my life. I don't know how that I'm ever going to recover from this. I don't know how I'm ever going to get to the other side. God, I lack all hope. All hope is gone. Losses cause us to grapple with what is the meaning of life? What really do we have to contribute with these few days that we have to live on this earth? And how is it that I can somehow conclude something good from my experience on this earth? When we go through losses and we have a deficit of hope, we many times will try to fit some pieces together to make sense of life. Well, let me share with you that life is not a puzzle and it's not like just fitting pieces together because sometimes there are no good answers for the losses of life. There are no good solutions for how to go forward other than just simply to put it to God. Many times when trying to get these pieces of the puzzle put together, we think, well, if I can just read another book, if I can just go to see the counselor a couple more times, if I can just get to the pastor and have him and the elders pray for me, if I can just figure this out and put this piece together, then it will all make sense. But suffering is common to all of us. And I have a prediction to make. I'm not usually one to to be prophetic, and I think that you'll understand this prediction, but when we lose hope because of something not turning out the way that we think, then, then we get in a place of despair. In 36 days, here's my prediction, about half of our country is going to be in a place of disillusionment and despair because what they had hoped might turn out for a political means will go the other way. We're not even a a nation split along 52 to 48 lines. We are just about evenly split as a people. And so in 36 days, our election will come and go, and many people will get disillusioned because of something that they had intended or hoped for doesn't work out. And when that happens, then we have to ask ourselves a question, Where is my hope? What is anchoring my soul as a Christ follower? Do I only hope in the next election so that my candidate gets in or in the next job approval or in the next thing that happens good in my life? Or could it be that there is a purpose for everything under the sun and God has a good plan for me? The psalmist understood as they're ascending this mountain to go worship God that regardless of what happened in their lives, regardless of what they might have to go through to get there, they were on the path they were going to get there. And I will tell you that suffering is common to the human condition. Suffering will happen to all of us. You live long enough and you're going to go through some things. Now, maybe you're like me, and and you remember those days when someone would tell you about their suffering. You see, suffering really is kind of relative. It depends on your perspective. It depends on what you're going through. I remember growing up that my parents used to tell me that they had it so tough that they had to walk to school in the snow, you know the rest of it, two miles uphill both ways. Okay, so some of you had this. Did you all read the same book or what? But suffering is relative. Today, we we look at at society and we feel like when we get that 3G network coming onto our phone and we see that scrolling thing, why am I suffering so long to load this page? Those are first world problems, you know, because most of the world's population would love just to have a device, much less to have a device with even 3G. So suffering is really a matter of perspective. It's really kind of relative. Or or how many of you have reminisced, especially as you're kind of raising your kids, I remember uh, now that that my kids, they get done at the table, they'll they'll throw the rest of their food off into the trash, and and that's no big deal. But when I was growing up, my parents used to tell me, now, Joey, you better eat everything on your plate, because don't you know, there's starving kids in... Africa, China, you know you name the country, they're starving kids. Well, they would tell me that for years, and I would have such a guilt complex about throwing away any food until finally I was about 12 years old and I figured, hey, I got a retort for this. So I'm scraping my food off, and my mom says, Don't you know they're starving kids? I said, Well, there's a box right over there. Let's package it up and we'll send it to them. <laughs> but that doesn't work either. Yes. I don't make light of people suffering. Yes, I don't make light that there are starving people, but we can somehow feel like we are the only ones, that we are the ones that are going through this great suffering. And human suffering is intended for a purpose to draw us maybe even just a little bit closer, get this, to the passion of our Lord, to his passion and his walk down the Via Della Rosa to get to the place of the skull, to go to Calvary, this suffering existence that we have, this this current trial that we're in is designed to draw us even just a little bit closer to Jesus. Now, I am not for any moment here trying to glorify suffering as some holy test that you must pass, and then God gives you a cookie at the end. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that sometimes with right perspective, with a proper outlook, we can realize, oh, I am being mistreated, I am being set back, I have a stumble, I have a weakness, there is some blind spot that I cannot see, and because of my own choosing or the choosing of another, I have encountered a hardship. I am going through some suffering. And here's what you have to know, that suffering is real. We're real people with real freedom around here. Real people get raw and honest and say, sometimes the bottom just falls out. I'm suffering. And many times through your suffering, there are no good answers as to why. I remember just months ago, sitting down with one of our church members. She had to really talk about some things that she was going through. And after going through about 45 minutes of talking, she finally concluded that that Counseling session wasn't very much help, and she said, you've been no help at all today. <laughs> That's not what the preacher wants to hear on Monday, you know? I, I, but she was right, because I didn't have any human answers that could satisfy the curiosity of her questions, why? You know why? Because I ask why, just like you ask why. A couple years ago, I was uh, in, a, in a place in my uh, just my personal life where I was throwing myself a pity party. You ever been there? Maybe you've been there in 2020. You've kind of thrown yourself a pity party. I've been there many times and you know I start reminiscing all the things that have gone wrong or things that could go wrong or things that didn't turn out just like I wanted them to and so I'm throwing myself a pity party and it's amazing how quickly you can get you to agree with you and you can get on the same page with your pity party and and the Lord reminded me about Easter. It wasn't even close to Easter time, but he reminded me about Easter. And by the Spirit of God just quickening me, the the Lord reminded me that I have never suffered to the point of a crown of thorns going on my head. I have never prayed all night long to where my sweat droplets become like drops of blood coming down my face. I have never been betrayed from a friend that would put me on a criminal's cross and I would go to death. Therefore, I was suffering, yes, but nowhere near compared to our Lord's suffering. And so put in a proper mindset, suffering really is common to the human experience. But, as the psalmist said, we still have hope. Because you have to understand that only God can handle the results of your suffering. The preacher can't burden it for you. Your best friend, even as as faithful as they are on the phone, cannot take on all of your suffering. Your family cannot always come to your rescue. There, There is not going to be a human that can fulfill the results of what you need from suffering. Only God. Eight times in this psalm, God's name is used. His name is invoked. They appeal to heaven. They appeal to God. And this is how they took matters out of their own hands, and they placed it into God's hands. And here's what you and I have to do through this psalm, is we have to get to the place of saying, God, only you can handle, only you can handle the results of my suffering. What I am going through, others have been through, I realize I'm not the only one, but right now, God, it feels lonely, it doesn't feel like anybody knows what I'm going through, but you were tempted in all points as I were, yet you without sin. You were bruised and afflicted for my sins, the chastisement of my peace is upon you, and by Jesus' stripes I am healed. God, you understand what I'm going through. Here's what the psalmist said in verses five, four and five. He says, But there is forgiveness with you. Why would the psalmist mention forgiveness? Apparently, some of the suffering that they were going through was a result of their own choices. Now, it's easy to point the finger and blame everybody else for the plight that you're dealing with, but how about getting real and honest with God and say, God, I am in the need of forgiveness. I have been the offender. I have been the wrong accuser. I have been the one that made this choice. I put myself here, and he says this, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared, that you may, the word fear isn't to be afraid, it is to be in awe and reverence, that you may be respected Verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do, say it with me, hope. (laughs) My soul waits for the Lord, and in his word I do hope. The psalmist turns to hope as we begin to realize the pain and suffering of this life will not hear me, the pain and the suffering of this life will not have the final say for you. But they appealed to God. They put their sufferings before God. To ancient Israel, these pilgrims would look at the word as these first five books in your Bible. That's called the Torah. It's the the law of God. It's the commands of God. These first five books would be what they would reference as the word of God. It was God's word written for them. It was God's message to them and so they would highly apprise that torah the word of god and that is what they say that they find their hope in now that's ancient israel but how about you and i on this side of calvary how about looking at rightly dividing the 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 word of truth you know how you rightly divide the word of truth there is an old testament and there is a new testament jesus did not say he came to do away with the law Don't let anybody tell you that the Old Testament has no no regard or no value. It's very important. It's the foundation of our faith. It's the building block. Jesus said, I'm not trying to do away with it. I have come to fulfill it. I have come to complete it. So everything that they learned, everything that they knew was their tutor. The law, the word was their tutor to bring them to Christ. Anybody who's ever had a little bit of a problem learning a concept or something in school and you had someone come alongside you and tutor you, once you've mastered that subject, you wouldn't simply say, well, I never needed my tutor to begin with. No, your tutor was important. And the word of God through the old covenant is important. But when we rightly divide the word of truth, what we're saying is anything that is not reiterated in the New Testament from the Old Testament has to stay in the Old Testament. You need to hear this. You are not bound by the laws and the regulations of civil Israel from the Old Testament. But you are still bound by the law, the moral law of God, the 10 commandments. They made 613 laws out of 10 that God gave them. You and I are still under and bound by the law of liberty in Jesus. And that is that we don't want to cheat. We don't want to steal. We want to love our neighbor. We want to be respectful. These are the, the moral laws and the commandments of God. We rightly divide the word of truth. And here is what John the Apostle writes about the word. He says, in the beginning, so he's going all the way back to the Torah, the the book of Genesis, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, or like right there alongside with God, and the word was God. What's this talking about? In the beginning, God the Father, it's talking about Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he goes on a little bit further and reveals this to us in verse 14 and we typically read this around christmas time but you can't just simply take these things out of context you have to look at what was this all about verse 14 and the word somebody say the word that's capitalized the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of who the father full of grace and truth i love this what this is saying was that the word or not just this Torah, but the Word is more than the Bible. The Word is the Bible, but it's also a person. Somebody say, the Word is a person. The Word is Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God. And it says that he was full of grace, okay, and full of truth. Now, if you're all just full of grace and you have nothing else, it's going to lead to licentiousness and lascivious living, I know that's a lot of L's, but I'm a preacher. I like alliteration. It's going to lead to loose living if all you have is grace. And if all you have is truth, then you are going to beat somebody over the head with your 40-pound Scofield Bible, and they're not going to want anything to do with your Jesus because all you're full of is religion, rules, and regulations. But if you will balance grace, full of grace, and full of truth, now you have the gospel message. Now you have what Jesus would say, come unto me, all you, all you, that's, that's the, the gay you, that's the straight you, that's the sinning you, that's the immoral you, that's the prostitute you, that's all you, come to me, there, that's grace, that's mercy. And I will give you rest. And when you enter into his rest, all of a sudden, the things on the outside fall off like shackles and chains. When you declare the name of Jesus, he starts a change. He starts a new creation. And now we have this balance of grace and truth. But it's not a 50-50. It's a 100% grace and a 100% truth. It's the whole package. That is the gospel message. So the, the word of God Is not just a bible it's also a person now i got this revelation a few years ago i probably shared it with you before but i want to share it again when we were kids growing up in in kids church there was this picture that we would get of the armor of god anybody ever seen the armor of god picture i should have given it to him i'm sorry the the media i didn't give it to him but there's this picture of the armor of god and here is a soldier like a roman soldier and they're standing there with all of this this armament you you know what i'm talking about and and so in ephesians chapter 6 we get this picture of what this soldier looks like and the the spiritual warfare that they're in. It it really prophesied to the fact that we're not in a natural, normal warfare. You know that, right? We are in a spiritual battle. It says in verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. How much of it? All of it. You need all of it. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. How many want that armor? That's some pretty good armor. That, that would be a pretty good prayer point every single day. Let's just pray on and put on the armor of God. But look at verses 17 18. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit and the sword of the spirit What is the sword of the spirit? Well, it defines it. Which is the word of God. Praying. Notice, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for who? For all that I need. For all of my wish list. No, for all of the saints. When you turn your prayers outward, here's what is amazing. God will start making happen for you what you pray for others. So, When I looked at this, I thought, okay, when I pray the armor of God, I'm looking at this chart, I look at the helmet of salvation, I look at all these pieces, but usually the the soldier is there with a sword in his hand and it says sword of the spirit, right? He really should probably have a Bible in his hand. It could say the the sword of the spirit, the the Bible, because this, is this the word of God? This is the word of God, right? No dispute there but Jesus is the word of God so the Bible is the word of God it is the written word of God the logos but when you and I get this everything in there when we pray this this armament on it's intangible there's not a literal helmet that I put on when I pray I mean I could come out of my office all dressed like a soldier and you guys would laugh say is there a program today no But when I pray these things on, they're intangible, they're invisible. The world can't see them. They don't know I've been in my prayer closet. Just like as I have the sword of the Spirit, it is not the Bible in my lap, it is the word in my mouth. And when I bring Jesus' name out of my lips, when I bring Jesus into the mix, when I declare in the name of Jesus, you are set free, then you're set free. In the name of Jesus, by his stripes, you were healed. It's an established fact. I'm declaring Jesus the sword of the spirit is coming out of my mouth and you have the same ability. You have the same authority. And so this bolsters hope on the inside of us. This causes us to recognize that hope is deeper. I like how uh, Thornton Wilder said, he said, hope is a projection of the imagination. So is despair. Get this. This isn't a theologian, this philosopher. Hope is a projection of the imagination, so is despair. In response to hope, the imagination is aroused to picture every possible issue to try every door. When you let hope settle down on the inside of you for something yet to be accomplished, when you let that hope rise up, there is something bigger than your circumstances. There is something larger than what all the no's tell you, all the the doors and the walls in front of you there is this imagination that maybe just perhaps what God says is true. Maybe I really do have a future and a hope like Jeremiah said. Maybe I really did hear from God. Maybe that really will work out. I can give no better example of hope, hope eternal, than that mother who has one of her children be told no to something that they really wanted. That mother will try every possible door to make sure it happens for their child. If a mother on this earth can do that, how much more do you think that your heavenly father will come to your rescue and come to your aid when there is a hope and a desire in your heart? He wants to do it for you. He wants to make your dreams come true. But have you delighted yourself in the Lord? Because the Bible says that if you delight yourselves in the Lord, that he will give you the desires of your heart that the desires that you have in your heart are there because you have delighted yourself in God. It's not that I just dreamed up, I want a new Mercedes Benz. That's my dream, God. No, God says, have you delighted yourself in me? Because if you delight in me, then I'll give you the desires of your heart. It means God puts them there and then they manifest out here. It is a hope that you have that God has placed on the inside. I like the old song that says, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. It says, my hope is built. What's it built on? Nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust a sweetest frame, but wholly lane on Jesus' name, the sword of the spirit. Waiting and watching. This is the center point of the psalm. I wanna read it again, verse six out of Psalm 130. It says, my life is on the line, God, my Lord, Waiting and watching till morning. Waiting and watching till morning. What does he mean here? What's he talking about waiting and watching till morning? Maybe you have been in a holding pattern in life. Maybe there's some things that you have been praying about for what you feel to be a very, very long time. And it's not happened yet. You've not heard God yet. You've not gotten a download from heaven yet. You're waiting. You're you're just kind of on the lookout. Well, he said that he would do this until morning. In our vernacular, we look at the morning as the beginning of a brand new day. But in this vernacular, and biblically speaking, a day did not begin morning. You look at Genesis 1 and 5, it says, evening was the first day, and then it cycled through. So it is from evening to evening that a day begins, according to God's calendar. And therefore, morning, the morning time, when the sun comes up, that's just halftime. That's just the middle point it's, it's full-fledged football season right now. And, and for all my football fans out here, any of you that root for the Cincinnati Bengals, you would like a lot of times for the game to end at halftime. <laughs> I mean, we're ahead. Let's just shut it off. Let's just end the game right there. But any good game has a time clock. And halftime just means you're not quite done yet. You've only played the first part. You still have to watch and wait what's going to happen in the next half. And the psalmist is saying, I'm waiting and I'm watching because I realize that God is not done with me yet, that this is just halftime. The morning is just gonna be halftime. It's only just begun. Whatever it is that God has put in your heart, whatever desire that he wants you to do, don't give up on it until God has worked that plan fulfilled in your life. It's just halftime in your life. Peterson says that hope is an imagination put in the harness of faith. Where is our faith? It's linked to our hope. I want to close with this, this picture for you from the New Testament. It is of the prophet Anna. Anna was widowed after only being married seven years. You can find her story in Luke chapter two. It's when Jesus was brought on the eighth day to be dedicated at the temple. The Bible tells us that there was a widow who was in the temple who was waiting for, get this, the redemption of Israel. She was hoping for the redemption of Israel. Anna, having been married for seven years, lost her husband and spent the next six decades as a servant in the house of the Lord. The Lord told her that she would not depart until she saw the redemption of Israel. What was that going to be? Well, it was Jesus coming to redeem his people from their sin. The Bible tells us of Anna that nearing the end of her life, she got to see something that was miraculous. She was there the day that Jesus was dedicated in the temple. Now I think about Anna and I think, that for 60 long years, her hope was deferred. And the Bible tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. So here is a widow who has suffered loss, who has had a sick heart for the deferral of hope, who never moved on to marry again because she made a vow to God that she would serve in his temple. Here is this widow that many had ridiculed, no doubt, from the outside, Question her motives. Why aren't you remarrying? You have lots of life left. Just go ahead and get about your business. Just go ahead and be happy in life. And here, Anna waits and watches. Waits and watches. Days come and days go. Nothing is being fulfilled. And now she gets to her, well into her 80s. And no doubt, there's ridicule on the outside, but there's probably some questions on the inside. There are doubts that are rising in her heart she starts to wonder, did I really hear the voice of God? Will I really live to see the redemption of Israel? Did God really say to me what I thought he said? She's lonely. She's suffering. She's silent. The Bible tells us that the day comes when Anna looks and sees that Jesus the Messiah is being brought by his parents and her final prophecy receives an immediate fulfillment. As she makes a proclamation, this is the Lord's Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And now she can go in peace. And this is exactly how Psalm 130 ends. "O Israel, wait and watch for God. With God's arrival comes love. With God's arrival comes generous, what? Redemption. No doubt about it, he'll redeem Israel, buy back Israel from captivity to sin. You see, the psalmist doesn't simply encourage us to wait in this suffering pattern forever, nor does the psalmist explain all the suffering. But what they focus on is the mercy and hope of God. And today, if I could just deal you in on a little bit of hope from God, that you might be watching, you might be waiting, but it's only halftime. We're not done yet. God is not through yet. God is not finished with his church. You and I have a part to play. God has a plan for his people. With heads bowed and eyes closed, between you and the Lord, I just wonder today, do you need a little bit of hope? Have you been deficient on that expectation of something good? God wants to revive in you today this everlasting wellspring on the inside that you don't have to go through this life hopeless and in despair. God wants to do a work. Father, today I pray for your people. I pray for all those who are far from you that would like to draw near that today would be their day to say yes. Yes to Jesus. Yes to his claims at the cross. Yes to eternal life. Yes to God. want to do that today we, we i just want to pray with you and here's the prayer we're going to pray you can you can pray with me i'm going to ask everybody to pray it with me you might just encourage somebody next to you dear god i come to you today just like i am i repent i turn from my old ways and i turn to you i accept jesus i accept jesus call on my life i take that step closer to him today god give me your hope Give me your joy. I wait and I watch for what you might do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone says amen. Thank you for joining us today. I just can't wait for next week. You're not gonna wanna miss it. Thank you for sharing on social media and please subscribe. And if this message has impacted you in any way, would you just write a rating or review for us so we can reach even more people with this message. Your generosity really does make a difference. So to give, please go to newfc.org and click on the giving tab or click on the link in the video description. We love you. We'll see you real soon.